Hello, music teacher friends. Welcome to episode 108 of the Beyond Measure podcast. My name is Christina Whitlock, your self-proclaimed anytime piano teacher friend, and I just want to welcome you to this space today. The new year always brings around a few new listeners to the podcast, and I am thrilled to add a few new teacher friends into my life. This show really is designed to help you feel like you get to spend some quality time with a friend in the profession. It is not easy to do what we do, but the teacher life is a lot brighter when you know that you are not alone in your experiences. Today, we are talking about a tried and true philosophy that I have when it comes to teaching elementary-aged students. Here we go! The premise of today's episode really is pretty simple, friends. I let my elementary-aged students take their time. I really do. (laughs) I am not in a hurry to build like tiny little virtuosic players. I am not interested in putting any of them on a fast track to big repertoire. I mean, I'm just not. It's funny. It feels like a really strange thing to admit into the teaching community, even though I know that a lot of you feel the same way. We live in a world where no matter what piece of repertoire we are currently working on, there is almost always a four or a six or maybe a 10-year-old playing it on YouTube. (laughs) And try as we might, it's hard not to let that wow factor that comes with those videos slowly change what we believe about our approach with young students. All right, so we're like two minutes into this episode, and I already have to interrupt myself with a quick disclaimer here. (laughs) For the record, I love the tiny dynamos on YouTube. (laughs) I am not that girl who is going to sit there and critique all of the ways that they are missing the stylistic interpretation or playing with funky technique or whatever the case may be. I might notice it, for sure, (laughs) but I am not one to feel any kind of threat or frustrations or whatever other big emotions teachers can have over those recordings. In fact, I should probably add this to my zero energy list. If you've ever listened to episode 76, it happens to be my most downloaded episode of this podcast, incidentally, Um, you know that there are three things I refuse to spend mental energy on. One is how people parent their children. Two is how they spend their money. And three is how people spend their time. Maybe I should add a number four, which would be young children playing on YouTube. (laughs) Anyway, I have veered off topic already. Imagine that. Back to my thoughts regarding elementary-aged students. I think kids in this window of, I don't know, let's say ages 5 through 10 or so, I think those kids are really in a period of what I consider foundation building. It's not that we don't advance through that time, because of course they do, 
and some advance significantly for the record. But my working theory is if you let all those elementary level concepts just simmer slowly through those younger years, once those kids are preteens, their abilities just skyrocket. This is actually a speech that I have pretty often with parents. In fact, when parents sign up young children for lessons with me, I always make it a point to tell them something like this. If you secretly just want to share impressive videos of your kids playing on social media this year, I am not the teacher for you. I am just not interested in how quickly I can get kids playing the bigger pieces. Rather, I want my students to enjoy exploring the instrument. I want them to understand fundamental elements of music. I want them to approach music as a form of communication. I want them to understand the music that they hear and play and see just as fluidly as the words that they are used to speaking and hearing and reading. That all matters to me because those are the things that build the musical foundations these little humans will be able to put to work for the rest of their lives. It's kind of like the complaints I have about how kids sometimes learn math in school. So you'll often see kids learning some simple addition facts, and then they'll move on and they'll learn some subtraction facts. And then later on, we introduce multiplication, and then we introduce division, and it just kind of keeps building concept after concept after concept, right? That sounds all fine and well, <laughs> but why not learn some addition, then work on some subtraction, then go back and work on some more addition again, and then do both addition and subtraction together for a while, then introduce some multiplication, but then go back and reinforce some addition and subtraction and multiplication some more. Let the record show that I know I am totally oversimplifying that process. <laughs> My elementary math teacher friends would totally roll their eyes at me, I know. <laughs> but hear my point. If you approach your teaching like a brick upon brick upon brick endeavor... You know, something like, we learn the musical alphabet, and then we learn the names of the white keys, and then we start seeing the notes on the staff. I mean, that sounds perfectly logical, I know. But how many times have you heard of a student, or even had one yourself, who got several steps into the process and all of a sudden seemed to forget some of the earlier steps? You know, like they're starting to read notes on the staff, and all of a sudden you realize that they were still counting up the keys to find where G is. <laughs> Our teaching response is often something like, oh, you know where the G is, you don't need to count up there to find it. But the truth is, now that they are several concepts deep, they might need to, even though there was a time where they could find G without any effort. I just do not think that elementary learning is the quick, like, stair-step process that we have made it out to be in education. Think about this one. As grown adults, we experience this all the time when we try to memorize music. 
I mean, you know how it is. <laughs> you can work on a phrase and memorize that one phrase just fine. Then you can go to the next phrase and memorize that phrase just fine. You can probably even put those two phrases together with no trouble. Logic would tell you that you just need to keep repeating that process with the next phrase and the next phrase, and then poof, your music will be memorized. <laughs> Except we all know that's not the way it works. We have to loop back around and fit different numbers of phrases together. It's a constant process of zooming in and then zooming out in small bits and then large chunks back and forth and finding new patterns and new analytics about the piece that we hadn't noticed the last 700 times we played that passage, but we see now. And even though we know that young children have such incredible, like, spongy brains, <laughs> they have such a capacity for learning, and they are also usually lacking the amount of noise in their heads that we have to deal with. <laughs> so even though we know all of those things, we can't approach elementary skill sets like a checklist. I don't think it works. Consistently, anyway. This is one of the main reasons that I am such a big fan of using a lot of supplemental repertoire in your teaching. And it's definitely one of the reasons that I use what we consider to be supplemental music more than traditional method series. Method books certainly have their place, and I do use them just in a slightly different way than I feel like most teachers do. So method books, by and large, are built on a formula of something like this. <laughs> First, we introduce a concept. Second, we have a piece that uses that new concept. <laughs> Third, maybe you play another or sometimes another two or three pieces that use that original concept. Personally, I think I'm being a little generous here because many times there are not two or three reinforcement pieces and they are just very simply on to the next thing. Again, I kind of consider this like a stair-step way of learning and I don't think it's realistically the best way to have most students reach their fullest potential. Instead, I kind of like to see my students' trajectory do almost like a zigzag pattern, like kind of like up and down and back and forth. But in some educational circles, this is considered sort of a spiral approach to learning. You start with a basic idea, and then you circle around that idea a few times, and then each time as you circle, you bring in a wider and a wider scope, and so that you end up with sort of a, um, I don't know, kind of a tornado-shaped spiral to the learning process. There are several ways that you can accomplish this kind of approach in your teaching, but the primary way that I implement this is I use what I consider to be a repertoire-rich approach to teaching. I like students to learn a new concept and then play several pieces that utilize that idea in a variety of settings. Different meters, different tonalities, different um, rhythmic patterns, whatever the case needs to be. 
Then we will usually loop back to something we did before. Usually, this is a previous concept, but in a new piece. But sometimes, even just circling back to an actual piece that they have already worked on is a great way to accomplish the spiral. In fact, maybe my approach is more like multiple spirals kind of intertwined. (laughs) I might have to hire a graphic designer here. (laughs) I think I'll play around with some graphics later. Maybe I'll share them on socials this week. All right, you can probably feel me going down a rabbit trail here, right? (laughs) So you might be thinking to yourself, "Uh, Christina, this approach is not just for elementary students. And you know what? You are absolutely correct. It's not. I approach my students of every age and every skill level in a very similar way. But I do think that we are most tempted to lose sight of this in a student's earlier years. I think we get a little tainted by introducing these concepts that we know to be, quote, basic ideas to our elementary students, when actually these simple, basic ideas are actually brand new and not so simple to our fresh little musicians. And when we take our time and let these concepts really, truly sink in and take hold of young students, not worrying how quickly we're going to get them into the next book, but really keeping an eagle eye on each individual for real, true mastery of concepts combined with frequent review, well, friends, that is pure teacher magic right there. I have had many memorable parent conversations around this topic for years. (laughs) So often, my parents of elementary students will comment to me something like, Well, I know she's never going to play like so-and-so, naming one of my older, more advanced students, and I will tell them, hey, just wait. I like to let these elementary kids just soak it all in, and then they take off like rocket ships. I have this conversation with parents all the time, and I will say almost every single year. At least one of them comes to me after the spring recital and they'll say, Oh my gosh, you are so right. She is totally doing it. I can't believe it. But there she was playing with the big kids. I just had a text message from a mom of three young boys over Christmas break. She said in her text, I know our boys aren't the next Mozarts or anything, but we appreciate the way you are a constant source of positivity in their lives. It was sweet, but I also couldn't stop myself from responding with the fact that no one is the next Mozart, first of all, but all three of her boys are very naturally oriented to music, and they are building strong, functional understandings of their instrument. And when they are a little older, maybe a little less squirrely, (laughs) they are going to have the tools that they need to do whatever they care to do with this instrument. And I think that is the biggest win possible. All right, so 
have I made my case for letting our elementary-aged students just take their time through their early years of learning their instrument? Sequencing concepts a little more slowly while working through a lot of repertoire with frequent review over previous ideas is an absolute game-changer, friends. And while you're thinking on those things, I am going to offer up a toast to you. Music teacher friends from all over the world, there's always something new to try, isn't there? (laughs) It's seriously a very overwhelming part of any aspect of education. Each student learns differently, and there is no shortage of materials on the market for us to explore. (laughs) If you feel yourself itching to make a change, just remember that slow and steady really does win the race. Start small with your changes. I know that I am certainly guilty of putting off change because I get overwhelmed by too many new ideas. Do not let this happen to you. Today, we are celebrating the capacity that each of us holds to continue to learn and to continue to revamp our lesson experience for the better. And we celebrate the fact that there are many, many more student lives out there for us to influence for the better. So with that said, I say cheers to you and your own unique brand of music teacher magic. Hear, hear. That is episode 108, friends. Next week, we are going to take a look at some alternative ways you can structure your lessons to fit the philosophies that we talked about today. I am pretty excited to get your wheels turning on those thoughts. I don't know if you realize this or not, but there is a link in the show notes for each episode I put out that takes you to all kinds of good things. One of them is a way to get on my email list, and I send out some good stuff through the email list throughout the year, so I don't want you to miss out. You can also register for my Studio Foundations course through the link in the show notes. You can also support the podcast on the Patreon community. By the way, shout out to my Patreon friends because you are simply amazing. Um, I also, each week, link additional episodes that you might be interested in that kind of pertain to the episode of the week. So, if you've never checked out the episode notes for this podcast, I would encourage you to do so today. Onward and upward, friends, as we continue to take this bright new year by the horns. (laughs) Let's make it a great week.